0: Hey guys, it's Hillary. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are hard at work on our next season of new episodes. You guys, we have so much fun stuff in production. And those episodes, they'll start on July 13th. So go do this for me right now. Go make sure that you are subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss the new season. To tide you over for the next few weeks, we are pulling some of our very favorite episodes from our very popular and also very controversial Sex and Parenthood series. I always say this show is about parenting, but there's no parenting advice, except if we're doing sex advice. So today we're re-airing our first sex advice show, and next week we'll do the second. And we are planning on doing a new sex advice show soon, and we're collecting questions for it right now. I know a lot of you felt like your questions were not answered in either of these shows. So after you listen, if you have a question that was not answered, please send yours in. Don't be shy. Send your question to hello at com with the subject sexy. That's hello at com with the subject sexy. All right, on to the episode. When you're a parent, getting it on Isn't easy. You're exhausted. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're sharing your bed with your kid, even if it's not on purpose. There are a million obstacles, and sometimes it feels like there's nothing you can do about them. Well, guess what? You can change that. And today, we're gonna let you in on the dirty secrets that nobody talks about. When I say dirty, I mean dirty. We are kicking off our three-part Sex and Parenthood series with some real actionable sex advice, and we are approaching this topic in the same bold way that we talk about everything else on this show. So that's going to mean there's some language, um, there's some explicit descriptions of sex. If you're not into that kind of talk, um, just go straight to our website. Uh, Check out our resources list on episode 48 at longestshortesttime.com. Also, this advice is geared toward parents and, and people trying to get pregnant, but I think there's actually some stuff in here that is super helpful for any human in a sexual relationship. So please pass this episode around. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Okay, so here's how this episode is going to work. The first half of the show is a conversation between me and our advice givers, Dan Savage and Jane Marie. I'll explain who they are in in just a minute. Then in the second half of the show, Dan and Jane will be tackling the questions that you sent in for them. We had um, so many great questions, of course, that uh, we just couldn't get to all of them. But there were lots of trends in the questions. So so what I did was I divvied them up into categories, kind of summed them up for Dan and Jane who we are so lucky to have with us today. You may know Dan Savage from his fantastic Sex and Relationships column, Savage Love, and from his own podcast, The Savage Lovecast, which just celebrated its 500th episode last month. He's got an 18-year-old adopted son named DJ, and he wrote about the adoption and becoming a dad with his same-sex partner, Terry, in his book, The Kid. And Jane Marie is a friend of mine who used to work at This American Life and went on to write about sex and parenting at Jezebel. And she did a series of interviews with married couples for Cosmo called The Secret Life of Marrieds. Jane gave birth to her daughter Goldie in 2013. Dan Savage and Jane Marie, welcome to The Longest Shortest Time. Thanks. Hi. So, um, Dan, did, did your sex life change after becoming a parent?
1: Uh, logistically, you know, we have the advantage of being a same-sex gay male couple. Um, neither of us had to give birth. We were both inseminating the hell out of each other, but nobody ever got pregnant. And so we we didn't have the physical sort of repercussions of childbearing and pregnancy and birth. But, you know, in that first year, certainly, um, you know, a, a new baby in the house is kind of a, a relay race and somebody's always running. And at the end of the day, you're too tired for swinging from the chandeliers.
0: How about you, Jane? Did your sex life change after having a baby? Totally, yeah. I'd, although I think for me it was
2: definitely more f- physical um, complications. I had some tearing with uh, mm. when I was giving birth, and I had a bunch of stitches and things that I had to heal. and And then with breastfeeding, um, you your hormones are all like crazy uh in the wrong direction (laughs) for sex um until you you know kind of come off of breastfeeding and then you can sort of start feeling like yourself again but definitely the first year even besides all that physical stuff um I didn't have space in my brain or my day and I felt touched out all the time.
0: (laughs) Mm. Dan is that is that Uh, how it is even for a guy like when you're not breastfeeding do you feel like you're being touched all the time?
1: You do, uh, and Terry was the stay-at-home parent, so it was more of a, a an issue for him. He just felt, and you know, you're being touched all the t- time by sort of an excretion monster. There's always something coming out of this person that's that's messy and earthy and gross, and and you end up at the end of the day just like not wanting anybody anywhere near you who's going to excrete anything at all. You don't want to deal with anything. <laughs> and uh, you know, even just a, a partner coming at you for a kiss can seem like an intrusion after you've spent a day wiping up uh, you know, vomit and spit and snot and changing diapers and you just don't want to deal with any more human messiness at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Being a parent can can make you feel so not sexy and and especially at the very end of the day when when a lot of sex typically happens. Um how do you like if if you're in your head thinking, okay, I'm ready to start trying to have an active sex life again with my partner, how do you motivate yourself to choose sex over sleep? <laughs>
1: Can I throw uh, something out yeah. there? Oh, go ahead. You go ahead, Jane.
2: I was just gonna say I don't know. I give I give my best blowjobs right after dinner. I don't <laughs> wait till sleep. I don't know. I just do it when <laughs> I You've do. You've
1: Already it when got a full stomach. Time. You might as well go for it.
2: Yeah. Right. No. I mean, I God. If I waited till sleep, I sleep. Go, I mean, I, I push it off to the last minute anyway because I just have so much stuff to do. But I just put sex on the list of things that I have to do that day. As soon as the baby goes to sleep, which is much earlier than I do.
1: You know, I think one advantage that uh, same-sex couple have, not, not advantage, just like one truth that you know, in all my years of experience of getting questions from straight people, you know the Bill and Monica thing where they weren't having sex, they were just having oral sex and analingus, so that wasn't sex, is you know Jane, as many women do, post-birth had physical limitations and issues and discomforts. Um, but for a lot of straight couples and other straight parents that we knew, because so many straight people define sex as vaginal intercourse. You know, it was a bigger problem because these other things felt like consolation prizes, handjobs, blowjobs, uh, no, rolling hand around, jobs mutual masturbation. Handjobs never went away. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people would regard them as like the stuff we we're having until we can start having sex again. Yeah. And yeah. gay people, uh, same-sex couples, you know, in some there are some gay people out there who regard, you know, who do that same thing. And if there isn't anal penetration, you're not really having sex. And anal sex became kind of definitional uh, particularly in the wake of the AIDS epidemic when people started talking about it as if it was all gay men did. It, like young gay men listened to that and believed it in the same way that young straight men listen to vaginally sex and believe it. But for us, uh, you know, a, you know, anal sex is a bigger production and it takes more time and prep and post time, right? And so that kind of got shoved off and we were doing more mutual masturbation and rolling around and oral sex. But it wasn't – we didn't feel bad about it. We didn't feel like, oh, oh a blowjob. How sad is that? <laughs> okay, I will accept this <laughs> consolation, second place blowjob consolation prize, in place of you know the butt fucking that we used to enjoy. Uh, but I, I hear all the time from you know young marrieds and people with new kids at my column, who are just devastated, you know, really unhappy because all they're getting, while the kid is under a year old, is handjobs, blowjobs, and rolling around. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is that a problem? Why mm-hmm. isn't that sex? Straight people have this really limited definition of sex men are that places about a lot more. This? Yes, men write to me complaining. Oh. About it. And it places a lot of pressure on women. I always say to straight guys that go to colleges when I talk and I say, if every time you said yes to sex, you got fucked, you would say yes less often. That if you define sex more broadly, (laughs) if you want to hear yes more often from your wives or your girlfriends or this woman you've just met, if you define sex more broadly, you'll get more sex because there won't be so much pressure. Because I guarantee you that if every time you said yes, if you consented and said yes, she rolled you over and fucked you in the ass with a strap on dildo, there would be times you weren't up for that.
0: This is interesting. We you know, I, this question started out as um how do you choose sex over sleep, but but I think it's going it's, <laughs> it's moving into this other direction which is like we asked listeners to write in questions to you and um by far the biggest thing that we got asked about was um you know, how to deal with like if you've had uh, an injury in birth and that could be vaginally or from a C-section um and 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 you just feel like you can never do it again. You know, like in that moment, you feel like you will never do it again. Um, you know, how do you motivate yourself? And what you're saying is, um, there are other ways else. to do it. <laughs> but what if? But but that stuff can impact you psychologically too, where you just you don't feel um, attractive sexy. anymore. Yeah, right.
1: It's not just straight guys who will define sex as vaginal intercourse. A lot of straight women believe that too. Mm-hmm. So you know, if the choice is to be sexy in some way that makes me feel defective. Or to have sex in a way that makes me feel defective or deficient, I'd rather not have sex at all. You know, I think there are things that gay people can learn from straight people. I think one thing straight people can learn from gay people is those broader definitions are freeing.
2: For me, I, I think that um, it, I I feel like I did lose my sex drive for about a year after having the baby. And um, so it was the handjob and blowjob city in my house for a while. But I didn't feel like my sexy self, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only now, I mean, my daughter's 15 months old. It's only been in the last couple of months that I feel like, oh, I'm going to, you know, wear high heels again and put on my nice bra.
0: Then, but then... I don't know. I talk about I talk about this stuff with uh, mom friends a lot and then you can start f- to feel resentful because you're not in a place where you feel like you can receive or you want to. I just had to feel confident that it would come back
2: because that's mm-hmm. what everyone was telling me and I just decided to believe the experts, you know. I decided to believe my therapist, I decided to believe my doctors that over time it'll come back and that's one thing that I hear talking to all the married couples that I interview. Um it comes and goes, you know, it's just like part of what being married is. And if you don't like that, then you don't have to get married. That's fine. But if you want to be with one person,
1: like the tide goes out and you have to trust that it's going to come back in and not while the tide is out, uh, become, you know, filled with despair or resentment or recrimination. That's what will make the tide never roll back in. Right. In those places I've been with Terry for 20 years, there've been Mm -hmm. like tide rolls out times and you know if during those times you know i'm not when i'm not feeling it when i have a little bit when i'm trying to finish a book when i'm you know uh not up for it i'm not going to yell at him for masturbating i'm not going to yell at him for looking at porn mm-hmm. but i get letters frequently from people who are just have no libido and no desire and they want their partner to have no libido or no desire <laughs> sort of in solidarity with them mm. And that becomes the conflict, not that we're not having sex, but that we're not having sex and I'm not allowed to masturbate in the shower or I'm not allowed to look at some porn and tide myself over while I wait for you to come roaring back. And that is poisonous, especially is. for guys, I think.
2: Sometimes I felt bad, but I, but I just had to like remain confident that it would turn back around. You know, what's really weird is when it did come back, it just like came back. For me, hmm.
0: you're saying it like it like it just came back with no reason. Was there something that you feel triggered it? Um,
2: I think. Well, I was depressed. I'm a chronic depressive, and I had to go off medication to get pregnant and to breastfeed. So coming off off of breastfeeding and then getting back on some antidepressants really helped a lot for me personally. But, um, but I think just the time and like getting out of the newborn stage with the baby and getting more of a routine going and her not waking up so many times at night and me getting some better sleep. And I find myself now, I think about sex during the day when I wasn't doing that for like a year. Um, but it's just started again, like we're, we'll be watching TV and I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we watching TV right now? We could be having sex right now.
1: <laughs> if I could jump in and share something yeah. my mother did and said to us when she first came to visit when our son was a newborn you know, she shoved us out the door one night and she said, go away, go to a movie, go do whatever. And when my mother would say, when my mother would refer to sex, it was always with some like, go do whatever. And you <laughs> knew what she meant. Like she would meant like, go find some place to fuck you two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. her advice was take advantage. And mm-hmm. it has been my experience, you know, observing, you know, DJ's peers and his friends and their parents. And, you know, you get into parent landia when you have a kid is you know, those of us who are like, you know, we dropped BJ off once and went to Amsterdam for nine days, dropped him off at mom's house, at my mom's house. And we would have weekends where my mom and stepdad would come out and we would go away. And it was only those times when you were alone together that you remembered why you liked each other well enough to want to have kids together in the first place. And this sort of two people locked in a house in the suburbs or an apartment in New York City alone, having a baby without that kind of support, that's an aberration really. And In the evolution of our species, it's not how we parented until really the 20th century. And it's really important to get away, to not feel guilty about that. And in my experience, Mm -hmm. the parents who bragged about how they'd never been to a movie in five years (laughs) since they had a baby, they hadn't been to dinner, they hadn't had a weekend away together, they get divorced. It is Mm -hmm. important to maintain your sexual connection if it's an important part of your relationship. It's not an important part of everybody's relationship. There are really wonderful companionate marriages out there where sex is not a priority or important. And I don't want to, those people to feel like their marriages are defective. But if it's an important part of your marriage and it sustains your marriage, you have to tend that. And that means get the hell away from your kids when you can. Take advantage of your relatives who are usually – or friends who are – who want you to take advantage of them, who would like to – hang out with your kid one night and you guys go off. And whether you go to a movie or dinner or you get a hotel room, do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm, I'm imagining like people listening to this and thinking, well, I can't afford to pay for a sitter and, and get a hotel room. Cars, you know.
1: Go to, yeah, the car. Cars, offices, parks. <laughs> I would hate for the CSI guys to come to my offices, uh, the offices of the stranger, and start spraying the room with that blacklight stuff because the, the, the building would probably explode from the heat. <laughs>
2: Or, you know, also going out to dinner and going out on dates and and making sure that you're spending time one-on-one, it makes it more fun to come home after that. You know, after you have a couple Mm -hmm. of hours out, you don't mind staying up an extra hour that night to have sex because you just had this nice date. Yeah, it re-energizes you. you. Although my
1: advice is always fuck first, like fuck and then go have that dinner. Because if you go have that dinner thinking it will, you know, you'll get in the mood. A lot of people go have a heavy dinner and some wine and dessert, and then they're comatose when they get home. And then the next morning, they're both like, "Oh my god, something's terribly wrong. We didn't have sex. She's not into me. I'm not in, or you know, he's not into me." <laughs> and it was just the wine and the steak. So fuck, and then go eat. Don't eat, and then cross your fingers and hope you still want to fuck when you get home.
0: Dan, you have a concept um, called monogamish that that you talk about a lot, um, which is a uh, basically monogamous couple that decides to have kind of an open relationship. Is that right? You know,
1: I coined the term uh, in reference to my relationship with Terry because we're not monogamous as a gay couple and parents. When you say you're not monogamous, um, which we kind of got trapped into saying uh, for reasons that are too – take too long to explain – you know, when if you're a gay couple and you say you're not monogamous, even other gay people presume a degree of sort of outside sexual contact or running around uh, that just wasn't true of us, um, and we were much more monogamous than not, and would be perceived as monogamous if we weren't, you know, if I didn't tell the truth, right? Um, over Terry's objections <laughs> in this case, and so you know, we, I, you know, I got sick of saying you know we're much more monogamous than not, da, 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 socially monogamous, not sexually monogamous, and just came up with monogamish, like we're pretty much monogamous. There is some allowance. It's not—the allowance isn't because we have mixed-match libidos or differing interests or anything else. It's just, you know, things sometimes happen and if they happen in a way that fuels our fire and that is true that it is often the case when Terry and I uh, are with somebody else we're with that person together and it kind of reignites our desire and passion for each other. It's not like, oh, you don't want to fuck me. I'm going to go fuck this person. It's— this exciting ad- sexual adventure that we get to go on. You know, people's erotic imaginations and are f- fueled and fired by uh, variety, uh, risk, newness. Um, and in a long-term relationship, as, as Esther Perel writes so brilliantly in Mating in Captivity, you know, the intimacy, the, the security, the comfort, the familiarity, everything that's so valuable th- that builds up over time in a long-term committed relationship is really kind of the enemy of Eros as – Uh, Perel points out in her book and writes really beautifully in her book. And so how can you have both? Well, you know, Terry and I have found we can have both with a little monogamishimi. And I could tell you what happened in Amsterdam when we were away for nine days when our son was young, but I won't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that Um, kind of sexual adventure. It's a couple. And it's wonderful. And it's not like – although I do argue that, you know, if, you know, one person has no libido, no interest in sex, and the other person does, you know, maybe – uh, an allowance like go do what you need to do to stay married to me and stay sane. Why is that such a problem if if it's mutually agreed to?
0: I want to ask you that in the context of new parenthood because um when uh, we put out the call for these questions, um there were some moms who said, Well, I just don't feel any desire yet um and i and I haven 't for a long time, and I kind of can't imagine it coming back, and so I want to encourage my husband to basically like have affairs because I'm not providing this for him. And they were sort of like citing you and being monogamish as like their evidence that this is something that, that that could possibly work. What's your response to that?
1: It can work and it does work. Um, uh, everyone says they don't know any couples who are not monogamous or every couple they've ever known who are not monogamous broke up. But you usually only hear about the non-monogamy when a couple breaks up. When there's an affair and it ends the marriage, we all hear about it. When there's an affair that saves the marriage, we don't hear about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I say to you know, – I've said to men, I've written columns where guys wrote in because they're so bummed and, and resentful – And wanting, you know, that uh, hall pass because it's been six months since the birth of their baby and they're not having sex. And I'm like, that's your baby too. You signed up for that. Like you have to give it a year. You're not allowed to start bitching about the sex tanking. Like jack off and (laughs) uh, keep to your vows. But you also hear from women who, you know, three, four years in just no libido. Like something's really shifted for them. And they want their husbands to stay married to them and they – you know, I think that it can be a fine thing to say, you know, get on Adult Friend Finder or Ashley Madison. Find somebody in a similar situation. Be discreet. Don't humiliate me. That's what maintaining the facade of social monogamy is about. It's actually kind of a nice control on somebody spinning out of control or, or being reckless or inconsiderate. Like if you do this in a considerate way, if you— do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane, and show loyalty to me and your child and this family. With something other, you know, we 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 put all this. We we say that loyalty in a long-term committed relationship, the most important measure of it is genitals. When there's different kinds of loyalty, and I think higher loyalties than sexual loyalty.
0: Yeah, I think I just want to be. I want to be really careful with. Um how we talk about this uh, with a lot of women in the audience who have been injured, um, and and to me, hearing that um, as someone who I, I did have a really bad birth injury, um, to to have the uh, the um, solution like, well, while I'm injured, you should go and have some fun, feels so dangerous.
1: Why does it feel so dangerous?
0: Because I wish I could be that person, you know, like it's not that it's not just simply like a low libido. It's like Mm -hmm. I've been injured in a way that like it makes sex hurt, you know. It makes
1: sex hurt if you define sex as vaginal intercourse. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: And if your husband defines it as vaginal intercourse. And it may be that for a a period of time, a long period of time, and this is a decision you both made together to have a child, that vaginal is just off the menu. And I really do think that straight guys should be told going into making a baby together with a woman by choice that they want to have, that this may mean that their favorite thing is kind of not possible. But there are other things that can be just as pleasurable and wonderful, including frottage, uh, the Princeton rub, including can I be really super graphic? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, you can clamp your thighs together around a dick and put enough lube down there that somebody can base. It feels not that much different than actual fucking. And for some people with certain birth injuries, that's also uncomfortable. Like nothing can happen down there or around there at all. Um, but for people with where that's not the case, but they just can't you know, deal with penetration right now, but they can deal with you know uh, pressure and movement in the area and even enjoy it without penetration, even climax without the penetration. That that kind mm-hmm. of uh, you know frotage fucking, um, fucking that space as opposed to uh, the vaginal canal can be really uh, a wonderful and a bridge back to that vaginal intercourse. And I'm not a woman. I don't have a birth injury. I don't want to dominate the conversation about it. But (laughs) um, I really think a large part of what can feed into uh, anxiety about that injury is the anticipation of pain. Um, And it can be sort of hardwired. Lori Brodo actually wrote a beautiful piece in the Savage Love Letter of the Day for me, for Savage Love, about how it can be less a physical sensation and more sort of hardwired into your brain where you associate pain with any touch down there. And it can be very freeing for a woman to know that Nothing is required of her and that this isn't an expectation and it can snip that link between sex and pain.
0: Jane, you told me once that Dan was trying to convince you that you should be monogamish and that you disagreed (laughs) with him.
2: (laughs) He did when I was going through my divorce from my first husband. Um, And it just didn't appeal to me. I get so jealous. I just get so jealous. It feels to me for me like I could do it, you know, but if I heard anything about my husband doing it, I would just murder somebody.
0: When we come back, we talk about boob men and swinging stinky balls. And Dan gets pissed about something doctors make all women do after giving birth. Don't go away. (laughs) We're back with Dan Savage and Jane Marie and the questions that you sent in. Well, we we got um, one question that was so awesome. I'm going to just read it to you. Um, it says, when we do have sex, I have such a difficult time with fantasizing. My pre-baby fantasies are hard for me to use because I feel like I don't fit into them anymore. Do moms have threesomes? Do moms have lesbian encounters? It's hard for me to imagine myself in my fantasies.
1: Moms have threesomes. Moms have lesbian encounters, yes.
2: But... Becoming a mom does change your entire perception of yourself, and you'll figure out your new self. Um, It might not go right back to what you liked before. You might find yourself fantasizing about entirely new things, but it really, for me, and for a lot of the women I talk to, um, it really just fundamentally changes you. And that can be really scary in the beginning, and then you become the new person that you are, and it's okay.
1: And sometimes erotics lie in the middle between two seeming polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people say, well, I, you know, I'm a mom now. I couldn't be, you know, into bondage or kink or uh, a lesbian experience. Um, and, you know, but the world is full of businessmen wearing women's underwear under their power suits and meetings who are getting that secret thrill from this is just so not how I present to the world. And you can re-eroticize those things that seem incongruous with motherhood by embracing the fact that they are incongruous with ideas of motherhood and cliches about who, what moms are and what's supposed to matter to them and r- tap back into that. Like, yeah, suburban moms with a couple of kids at home, don't do this. That's what makes it hot, right? That's what makes it dangerous and invigorating if you can tap into it.
2: Yeah. Because I start to look at myself and I go, it's impossible, right? Like, it's impossible that you're Goldie's mom and that you um, you birthed this child and you take care of her every day and the whole world looks at you like you're a mom and you never get hit on at the grocery store anymore and, uh, you know, you just, you're just you a mom. Ugh, just a mom. That's all you are. And then I think, no, Beyonce's a mom. And Beyonce is like every guy's fantasy still. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares that she's a mom. You know, and she's But doesn't. she's not
1: dancing. But she's not dancing on stage with a child on her hip, right?
2: No, no, she's which like is just to circle back person. to the point of getting the hell away exactly. from your kids, exactly, including
1: <laughs> in public, away from your kids, so you can be yeah. an autonomous and sexual person again.
2: We're, we're going to a rap show. We're going to see Run the Jewels tonight. We're gonna to go to dinner first. We're gonna go hear some raps. Do something in the car. You're doing it in the wrong order, Dan. Says. I'm sorry. Yeah, you have to you fuck first,
1: what? dinner, rap.
2: Literally, I would, but I today. It's just not going to work. But the visitor sitter comes at six. So I guess we could find somewhere to go for
0: an hour. <laughs> um, so, so Jane, you breastfed, yep. right, for a while. Um, a lot of moms wrote in saying that um, they just feel like while they're breastfeeding, breasts are off limits. But it's hard because their partners want to be very hands-on. Um, what advice do you have for both the mom and the partner in that situation? Handcuffs. <laughs> I had two reactions to this. The first one was just
2: tell them not to touch you on where you don't want to be touched and hopefully because they love you they'll understand. But my second reaction was that I just don't think I've ever and this seems impossible to me because I've been around. I don't think I've ever uh slept with a boob guy. Not a guy who can't, can't literally cannot keep his hands off my boobs.
1: But one of the things we have to—I I always tell people is, you know, when they get bored, they're together. At the beginning of a sexual relationship, what's exciting are the barriers and, and the hurdles you have to clear. Um, you're pushing past boundaries. You know, you don't really know each other. You're trying you're this discovery thing about each other. It feels dangerous. There are limitations. You know, you're, you're really filling each other out. And so, you know, later in a relationship, after it's established, maybe after your parents— some imposition of a new restriction or limitation or a new hurdle can be exciting. So for something to be off limits for a while because of something that has nothing to do with your sex life, it's not arbitrary. You know, you're breastfeeding and you're just too sensitive. You can't be touched. Well, you, that's, that can be sexy if you could think about it in the right way. That kind of denial and deprivation and the, the, the tension and buildup until the return of you can touch my breasts, that can be eroticized if you have the right sort of frame of mind about it.
0: That's like leading me into this other question I had, which uh, um, I'm going to I'm gonna try to guess what your answer is going to be, Dan, based, based on what you just told me. Um, the question is, um, how do you have a sex life when you're co-sleeping? And my guess is that you're going to say, make it fun by having sex in different parts of the house.
1: Well, don't co-sleep. That would be my first uh, bit of advice, um, <laughs> which is now going to get me hate mail.
0: Yeah. No, I was maybe
1: uh, but, gonna
2: say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you
1: know, the bedroom can be uh, a, a very onerotic place. Like you want to break out of your patterns. Um and you know I, I've I've told people who are bored and in ruts to have sex three times this week, just not any place you've ever had sex before. And if that's the bathroom, because you're that unadventurous, you've never had sex in your own bathroom, then it's the bathroom. Or it's out of the house, it's the yard, it's the garage, it's the office, it's the car. Just get out and do it somewhere else. So if you're not having sex because you're co-sleeping, have sex during the day, during the kid's nap, have sex when they're at school.
2: I mean, I don't want to talk bad about everybody who co-sleeps. We did it for a month in the beginning, and then we were done. Um, and this is not everyone's experience, but I want my daughter to kind of have – a similar attitude. I feel like I have a healthy attitude towards sex, and I want to impart that to her. I want her to know that we're having sex. Like I want her to know her parents have sex on a regular basis, and if she's in the room twenty four seven with us and never that never happens, like I feel like that might be damaging to her, maybe more damaging than sleeping in her own room to my family. You know, um, I need her to know that there are boundaries, and she's like that's our private time. And if she walks in the room, guess what? We might be having sex. You know. Um, and that it's healthy, and that we love each other, and we—you say, we say that we find now that she's fifteen
1: sexy. months. <laughs> it's I different. Know. It's different when you look into the eyes of your twelve-year-old who just realized that you were screwing, and there's nothing more sex-negative than the prepubescent child. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't believe that adults would do something so disgusting. Uh, and the adopted child's advantage is they don't have to even pretend that their parents ever had sex,
2: ever did that. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't have that experience as a kid, but um, my, I don't know, my parents were always really upfront about
0: it from the very early age, very early And it didn't like gross you out?
2: No, I remember having a discussion with my mom when I was like five about what the F word meant. And she said, it's a thing that um, husbands and wives, that's how she explained it, that me and your dad get to do and it feels really good. That's what she said. Wow that was the end. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were Catholic, um, and
1: it wasn't put to us quite the same way. Yeah. so We've had that talk with, with Deej, because he's been embarrassed by us on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like, you know, it's it actually advantage you that your parents are still into each other. Advantage you. Well, um, does,
0: he, does he get um, embarrassed that you talk about sex for a living?
1: Oh, yeah. In the same way that I was embarrassed when my dad was a Catholic deacon and talked about God for a living. Um, you know, everyone's embarrassed by what their parents do. If I was an architect, to be embarrassed by buildings.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, the thing we haven't talked about in all of this, so there are some people who just don't want to have sex. And so we mm-hmm. talk about how you fix it around the co-sleeping problem, how you fix it after – you know, uh, birth and sometimes people are partnered with people who just have no interest in fixing it. So the co-sleeping isn't the the problem. The co-sleeping for that parent who isn't interested in sex is the solution mm. to the sex uh, that they don't want to have in the first place. Um, it's sort of one of the great unspokens about these debates about sexless marriages and, you know, being new parents and the sex tanking is some people want it to tank. Some people have no actual interest in repairing it.
0: Um. We, we also hear from a lot of people who um, have pretty healthy, active sex lives when they're trying to conceive. And then after maybe one miscarriage or multiple miscarriages, sex becomes a chore and it brings back lots of uncomfortable emotions. Um what do you recommend for them? Like how how can they make sex fun again while they're continuing to try or when they've given up and and they know that they can't have a baby biologically?
1: I always tell them to remember what sex is really for. Uh-huh. We're wired to have a lot of sex and we have very few babies. You know, At the most, you can turn out 19 like a, like a dugger if you really try. Uh, but you're gonna have a lot more sex than that with, with a long-term partner. So what is sex for? Um, why do we not go into heat? Uh, why is uh, human menstruation or pardon me, human ovulation hidden? Uh, why are men always ready? Why are women always ready? Why are we always horny? It's because sex does something else in human relationships and human culture and society than just churn out babies. And you could argue that sex primarily is not for babies, it is for those connections and that intimacy, and 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 cementing those bonds and, and creating those relationships, and kids are extra. So you know, if you have come to associate sex only with reproduction, and that's been a painful process for you, uh, or or crushing, um, you need to refocus and, and remember what sex is actually for in in human relationships, which is you know two percent for reproduction and ninety eight percent for recreation, for love, for intimacy, for release.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that the couples that I've spoken to have had fertility issues or, re- you know, repeated miscarriages or um, going through IVF. Um, the only piece of advice <laughs> that everyone kind of says is it helps to take breaks. Um, and I know time is not on your side when you're dealing with something like that. But even if you can just say, okay, next month, we're not doing this, you know, and we're just going to like... Go on dates and appreciate that it's you know just the two of us for some time or whatever. Um, but that's I don't know. It's really hard. It's really hard.
0: Yeah. Um, Dan, do, do you do you find um, a difference in sex lives of parents who have one child versus multiple children?
1: Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean maybe Jane and I aren't the best guests because we're both sitting here <laughs> with one kid apiece.
0: <laughs> I have one um, kid also. <laughs> so, uh,
1: yeah, it's, I don't think two is twice the work. I think two is ten times the work. Um, you know, when, when there's one and it's asleep, you're free. Uh, when there's two or three and ones, you know, one may be asleep and one may not be asleep, um, the illnesses may roll around and not be discrete events in the life of your one child. And I think there has to be, in response to that, more patience and more understanding, uh, and more seized opportunities. There's a process that I noticed early in uh, our parenting, uh, mine and Terry's, that I, I really think now that the two party system is kind of hardwired into us uh, and reflected in our politics, but it, because it exists in our in our families and our parenting. That whatever Terry said, we're going to do this or we're going to go here, or, we're going to eat this or like whatever decision he made for our son, I would automatically leap to the opposite position and we would have a fight. And I, I would realize halfway in the fight that I didn't – had never really given this a thought before. So I was just sort of leaping to the opposite like the Republicans – like Obama's for it. The Republicans are against it, right? And then we have to have this fight to see who wins. And it, eventually we said to each other, this is what we're doing. We're like two party democracy right now and we're fighting about stuff that we don't actually care about. And once we were able to like label that dynamic as something sort of gut instinct and not, I think you're stupid or or I'm being controlling and vice versa. But you know, we're we want the best for this kid. So of course you made a choice and I'm gonna like leap to the opposite. We're have a little argument and then the best choice hopefully wins if we don't let our egos get involved and then we can throw that argument away because it wasn't about us and our love for each other. It was about our love for this kid and how that kind of reshapes our emotional dynamics with each other. And I think it's really important. And that's a kind of complicated and weird to unpack. I've never really talked about it uh, on the radio or anywhere else but to, to understand that those parenting conflicts that you'll have, is, which will be magnified a million times when you have two or three and you're constantly having these little sort of conflicts over choices, to understand that that's not about you guys, that's about parenting and it's some weird thing that has nothing to do with you or your relationship or your quality as parents or anything, and it's going to go on and on and on forever. If you can label it, compartmentalize it and set it aside, it will really help, I think, preserve your relationship.
0: That's so true. I mean, yeah, my husband and I, we bicker so much more (laughs) now that we have a kid. Just about uh, I don't know about
1: bullshit about things you yeah. never thought about or cared about before that's right, like we need to we need to get this binky out of his mouth, and you know it's time yes. it's like, why I had yes. binky, like you start like you're some expert on binkies, and you get really passionately <laughs> wrapped up in this argument, and it can poison your whole day unless you say and seen
0: yeah the the thing you said about about illness too with you were saying it in in respect to having more kids, but I think even when you have one kid uh you get sick so much more often and, and, like, you trade it back and forth and it's really hard to figure out when you're going to have time to have sex or, like, when, when you're going to both be healthy enough and not get each other sick. You know, it, like, has, it adds a whole other dimension to it.
1: People like to masturbate when they're sick.
2: I know. I just want to say I'm, I'm always super horny when I have a cold. I do when I've had like, a slight fever and I just want to kind of stay in bed and then I
1: get in the mood. Yeah, like people – you may not be up for full sex when you're feeling a little under the weather, but everybody likes an orgasm. So lay back, masturbate together. Really, masturbating together is so underrated in long-term relationships. Like if you're not having swing from the chandeliers, fuck every orifice, jump up and down, sex in costume, then you shouldn't even bother. When sometimes just like laying in bed together and masturbating is wonderful. And even if you're sick or sick of each other, it can help.
0: What else can you try if you're sick of each other? That's in a minute. Stay with us. We are back with Dan Savage and Jane Marie and a whole lot of hypothetical strangers. P- people were asking about about um, like swinging as uh, as parents um, and <laughs> like the logistics of going to like swingers parties or swingers clubs.
1: And most swingers are parents. Really. Mm-hmm. I have been to their conventions. I have looked at the data. Uh, they're also <laughs> much likely to be uh, Christian and conservative.
0: Really. Huh. So 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 one one mom wrote in um, and wanted advice on like how do we uh, how do we even begin doing this? And I think they also wanted to know like is it as sexy as it sounds?
1: Nothing is ever as sexy as it sounds. Right? <laughs> right. Right. You know, ever, everybody who's ever like arranged to have some like amazing fantasy fulfilled or like arranged for that three-way after talking about it for 12 years, you know, it can be sexy. There can be moments. But, you know, even sex with, you know, the partner that you love can sometimes like fall short of imagining sex with your partner or this person that you love. The anticipation is often uh, more arousing than the execution. But swinging works for a lot of people, particularly women. Because um, the, really the, the whole swinging culture and structure collapses if women feel unsafe.
2: I've watched the documentaries, though. I'm really not into it, personally. (laughs) I'm also really sensitive to smells, like body smells. (laughs) I am. I don't want to—I like—like you have to smell just exactly right to me, and I don't want to have some surprise, like, ball smell coming up in my face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) think (laughs) that could be on (laughs) T-shirts. That should be in Latin. I'm going to put that in Latin and inscribe it over my front door. I don't want some strange ball smell coming up in my face.
0: Uh. We we had a single mom write in and ask um, just, you know, how to explain the inevitable time when she's going to have to talk about the guys who sleep over sometimes. Hmm. Or if she gets walked in on.
1: Well, those conversations always have to be age appropriate. Yeah. Um, And I think when when kids are young, very young, you, you need to lay it out. Honesty uh has to be sort of tempered and directness and and sex positivity has to be tempered with you know not burdening a child with stuff they can't yet understand. So mm-hmm. I had a friend sleep over and you know he couldn't go home. Like you can you can white lie your way through it when they're they're very young, but you know I think when a kid gets to be 9, 10, 11, 12, they know what sex is and they know that they're there. They know that you've had sex and you can have a conversation about the fact that you are having sex and adults have these sorts of relationships and uh, most people begin, you know, they, they date, they have sex, and then they figure out whether they want to be together uh, permanently. And, you know, because they're in the house, they're privy to, you know, they're going to be witness to a little bit of that process. Mm-hmm.
2: I talk to a lot of um, couples in second marriages um, where they've already had their kids with somebody else and then been divorced and then remarried. And it seems to me that the single dating parents um, find – help with having alone time a little bit more. <laughs> like, they can, you know, drop the kid off at grandma's or um, maybe the kid's going to their other parent for the weekend. And so there's more opportunities for, you know, time to devote to um, dating. So there's, like, positives to it, too, you know? Um.
0: So, so, so we got um, this one really awesome question from a dad which was that before they had a baby she was like a super kinky you know horny sexy lady and after they had the baby um she just doesn't she doesn't feel like herself and he wants to know what can he do to help her get back to her kinky self (laughs) jane take on more of the
2: parenting and that's the first thing that occurred to me was just, like, give her some time and some space. Take the kid away, you know? Everybody says just, that to
1: dads. If you were just doing no, it right, just, she would want to fuck you. No, or no, 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 I'm not saying
2: that. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm saying give her a moment to not be a mom and to get back. Like we were mm-hmm. saying about Beyonce and stuff. Like, give her those times. Like, say, go out with your girlfriends. Get out of here. Go be, like, a sexy single lady, you know? F- start feeling like yourself again, but you—it's really kind of impossible if you just have a kid clutched onto your breasts twenty-four hours a day. It's very, very hard to feel like an individual, you know. But yeah. there is—it's okay. You get a pass for the, the early days. I agree. You, you absolutely having, get a pass
1: in that first year. Um, and anybody who comes at you in that first year, and mom or dad, like sometimes dads have a, a little bit of a tank too. Um, mm-hmm. that, but you do get a pass. That, that nobody can go to the other in the first year and really bitch and bitch and bitch about sexual deprivation. You had a baby. You that mm-hmm. was a known known going in that there would probably be a period of six, ten, twelve months. Of of desert and masturbation for the I, I gotta partner.
2: tell you, people don't think that though because the doctors say, Come in for your six week checkup and now your vagina's fine and you guys can go back at it and it's just like what? And that's a doctor telling you that's what's supposed to happen. I'm serious. I mean, no. I really think people have the wrong idea about
0: it. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like you're recommending all these things that don't involve penetration, but but like that's the thing is that the doctor is saying you can be penetrated at six weeks, you know?
1: To the barricades. Let's 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 revolt against that checkup. I think, I think that's horrible. We didn't have that it's checkup, crazy, obviously. Right? <laughs> I wasn't even aware of this checkup. And what pressure that must put on the woman.
2: Mm-hmm. I went to my six-week checkup, and then I had to get a colposcopy, like a little biopsy on my cervix. So it was another couple of weeks. And then that was like, oh, now you can't have sex for a few more weeks. So then I was like an 8 weaker. And then <laughs> finally I got the go-ahead and I was like, but I don't want to. Can I get a
0: doctor's note that says I don't have to <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. like, what, so what do, you, what do you tell people who feel guilty that at that moment, like, they're in there with their partner, the doctor's finally saying at whatever week, uh, you can go at it now, and then, and then, Jane, if they're in your position and they and they feel guilty for feeling like, well, no, I'm not ready, then, then what? Hopefully you have
2: a nice partner who's understanding.
1: And if they're not, sit them down and make them listen to this podcast. Strap them down, put headphones on them, play this podcast over and over for, like, two days. Handcuffs. Yeah. Handcuffs Ding. is your
0: answer to everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't say anything about handcuffs. You t- You brought up handcuffs that time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You've trained me well. Dan Savage tweets at fake Dan Savage. Jane Marie tweets at C Jane Marie. We've got a whole list of amazing resources for a healthy sex life that Dan and Jane sent us. That's at our website, longestshortesttime.com. Also, I've just got to say, this kind of open, honest conversation about sex after parenthood is long overdue. So help us keep it going. You know, I I know this stuff is difficult to talk about publicly, but I'm going to ask you to do this thing. I I want you to go to our website, to the comments section of this episode, episode 48, and tell us what has worked for you and, and also where you're still stuck. You can do this anonymously. And I'm not just asking you to do this for us. I'm asking you to do this for the greater good of mankind. I, I'm I'm serious here. Sexually satisfied parents make for happier parents. And happier parents make for more patient and effective parents. And And we all want that, right? So come, join us. Say what's on your mind. Respond to each other. and And we're going to ask Dan and Jane to check out the conversation and to weigh in when they have a moment. I can't wait to see what everyone has to say. Our Sex and Parenthood series continues next week with more advice, this time from sex educator Tawana Hines and OBGYN Dr. Hilda Hutcherson, who has this prescription for parents who need a little more alone time. You lock your door. So when that two-year-old comes running down the hall, mommy, 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 the door's locked and the music is on. You don't even hear it. (laughs) You do not want to miss this show. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to send in your sex advice questions. I know your question was not answered this time, so send it in. Send them to hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject, sexy. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Carum and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado and Antonia Eccatunde. Thanks to Jane Marie for extra production support this week. This episode was originally produced in partnership with WNYC, where I had help from Joanna Solitaroff, Bill Moss, Bill O'Neill, and Alex Kaplman. Don't forget to subscribe to our show in iTunes so that you get our new season when it drops on July 13th. And as always, if you have a story that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, you can be on this podcast. Just tell us anything about your kids, anything about your parents. We like stuff that's poignant. We like stuff that's surprising. We like stuff that's weird. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story.